All right, hey everybody, episode three of the Allison Park Leadership Podcast. My name is Dave. And my name is Jeff Leake, and we are uh, really glad that you've joined us for this particular conversation today. Absolutely, and, and today we want to specifically talk to people that are either on staff at a church or that are wanting to be on staff at some point in the future. Uh, and the topic that we want to talk about today is um, basically what makes a good staff member, and I think also um, how do you define success? And here's why this is a big deal to me. Um, I've been on staff for six years at, at Allison Park Church. I'm, I've been the uh, the high school youth pastor. I'm doing some other you know stuff with coaching our, our um, other campus youth ministries as well. And one of the things that I think was a big struggle for me for a long time was how can I define success for myself? Um, I think for anybody who is ambitious and who wants to do a lot with their life and ministry. Um, some faulty things that we all know of how to not define success are to look at the freaks of nature that are 31 and have a national or international audience that everybody listens to every week. It's, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not Levi Lesko. I'm not Stephen Burdick or whoever else it might be. Um, obviously, that's the wrong way. But in terms of what you're looking for as someone who is constantly, you know, having to hire new staff members, um, as well as how to defi- define success, like, why don't you just... Yeah, yeah so I, I I think we talked about this a lot, Dave, because you know, okay, so we're I'm I'm your dad. I'm also the leader of the organization that you work in. You got hired on staff. When you did, you didn't work directly for me. You worked for some of the people that um, that work for me or work with me. And uh, there's just kind of a unique situation. And then Allison Park was growing at that time, and there were a number of people that grew up at Allison Park Church that you grew up with. Yeah. That all joined the staff at the same time. Yeah. In fact, we actually went to college together. Yeah. Many of you went to college together. You were in youth group together. And then everybody found a role on our team, which is one of the principles of what we love to do at Allison Park Church is to hire from within. We love to raise people up and, and release them into ministry. But I noticed, especially amongst the younger staff, that there was a fear. Mm-hmm. Like I, I often heard this or overheard this. Um, I'm probably going to get fired. I'm, I'm probably failing. Oh, it was amazing to me as I was looking as leader of the organization thinking, you guys are doing great. I mean, you're young, you're growing, you're developing. There's things you have to learn. But I, I didn't see anybody's head who was on the chopping block. Right. And yet a lot of you were walking around every day feeling like I'm failing, I'm failing, I'm failing. Well, and let me just redefine were to probably <laughs> are to some degree. I mean, I, I think this is a conversation we're having as a staff, you know, with the younger staff members right now. But if we're not careful or if there's anybody who's not in the group that I'm in right now, there's probably a high chance that is what they're feeling. Yeah, and it's not limited to younger people, I would say. It's anybody who's on staff probably wonders from time to time how they're doing. So let's just start like this. What makes a person successful in general? Let's mm-hmm. just start there. So I think success is defined as a Christian, as obedience. Yeah. So if you obey, if you obey God and you please him, I always, always love to define my life. My life mission is please God, care about people. Okay. If I please God and I care about people, if it's not successful in the eyes of the world, but it pleases the father who's created me, it doesn't really matter what everybody else thinks. That's where peace comes in my own life. Okay, where I feel like I can accept myself because I know I've done my best to please God and I'm caring about other people. But but pause there for a second because that's not that's not nearly as simple as that sounds. I mean, if everybody could just say, well, you know, God is pleased with my obedience, then we wouldn't feel the pressure that we do. Well, no, tr- true. Well, okay, that's yes and no. It's true in that 
there are other people's expectations we have to manage mm-hmm. because we work for them. Right. Right. They have hired us. We have to meet their standards as well as God's. But ultimately, when it comes right down to it, you only get peace with yourself if you can say, even if everyone else isn't happy, but I know I've pleased God, I can be okay with me. Mm-hmm. And just, because because that's where it really comes from. Re- redefine it one more time. The, the, the way that you can have peace with yourself is knowing you've you know met God's standard, which is what again? Obedience. Mm-hmm. Obedience with the right attitude and with the heart of love for people. Okay. Okay. Now, I can be a pastor hired onto a staff as a leader um, over a department, and I feel like I'm pleasing God and I'm obeying with the right attitude. But I have a supervisor who's now helped me set goals and has expectations for the next three months as to what I'm going to accomplish. Some of the things that I need to accomplish are within my control because if I work at it, disciplined, things will take place. Other things are out of my control because certain growth factors, like I want to grow my youth ministry, which is what you're asking all the time. How do I grow my youth ministry? Some things are out of your control. Sure. Like families that move away or or just the culture that we're in or the money that you have to spend or whatever it happens to be, there are dynamics that affect outward results. Yeah. Okay. So I think every organization for its employees, for its staff needs to define what success looks like organizationally. Right. Personally, it's defined by obedience, right? And, and the right attitude and the heart of love for people. But organizationally, we have to say, so what does that look like? Right. And as, as an Allison Park Church staff member, and I know that hopefully some of the Allison Park staff is listening to this, we're going to try to answer that question. Yes, we are. Because for me, that's been sort of at times a mystery. Like, I hope I'm not going to get fired. And then you've been like, well, why would you get fired? You know, that you're hitting all of these things. I'm like, yeah, but blank, you know, my, my definition or whatever it might be, you know. And, and so I guess just to kind of frame this, I think that we're talking about goals. And I know that different organizations have different kinds of goals. Generally, we try to use SMART goals, um, you know, which stands for specific, measurable, attain, Agree, agreed, agreed upon, upon right? Yeah. Timely and specific so specific oh I said that that's again yeah. <laughs> measurable uh-huh. agreed upon yep realistic realistic and time framed I can't spell yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said an S instead of an R at the end okay well yeah, whatever so, I spell but I think so if you just walk down through those goals so specific means that it isn't vague yeah measurable which means that there's some way that you can look after a period of time and find out if it happened the third is the most important mm-hmm. agreed upon right so actually setting goals, and this is, oh boy, if I could help my staff get this one idea down, it would free up so many people. So here's the thought. Setting goals, from my perspective, is not about validity. Mm-hmm. It's not saying this goal, if you achieve it, makes you valid as a pastor. That's how people interpret it. They interpret it as this makes me valid. This makes me acceptable. Setting goals is not about validity. It's actually about conversation with your supervisor so that you are on the same page. It's about that agreement that you say, is this realistic? Is this specific? Is this what we should be working towards? It doesn't say either you hit this or you're fired unless you were in a performance improvement season and your supervisor specifically says to you, you're underperforming, you aren't being disciplined enough. Unless you hit this target, we're going to have to have a conversation about whether you're in the right position or not. If you don't have that conversation, then basically what you have is a goal that both of you have agreed to pray about and work towards and drive towards. It doesn't make you invalid if you fall slightly short of that. 
because the goal setting process is really just about a conversation with your supervisor. Right. Yeah. And so and so we're we're gonna get to the point where we define what success actually means in a second. But before we get there, it's probably important for us to start by talking about failure. Yeah. Right. Because. I mean, a number of years ago, there was a, a book that kind of shook the organizational world, whether it was businesses or it was sports, and it was this. It was it's called uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck, which talks about the idea of a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And in a fixed mindset, you are as intelligent or as skilled or whatever as you're ever going to be, and you can't necessarily change that. Right, but a growth mindset is you can get smarter, you can get better at what you're doing, and failure is an opportunity. You know, so I think that's a lot easier to put in in theory than it is in practice. Yeah. But like for for you, you know, how do you deal with failure? So failure is honestly many times a very good thing, because if you are taking risks and you're experimenting, you might fail. If you fail, you learn, and you grow. Um, so. When you have a supervisor, so how do I deal with failure? Well, I happen to be the leader of the organization. I do have to face a board. I have accountability with a board. There are metrics and measurements that we look at organizationally. But I do think you have to define with whoever it is that you're accountable to what kind of space you're in. So you say, this is the goal that we're going to set. I would like to take some risks here. You could say to your supervisor. I could say to my board. Mm -hmm. We could end up losing. Right. I just want you to know, I want to try some stuff. Will you give me the room to fail in this particular space so that we can try this new idea and see if it works? Yeah. I think if you go in knowing that this could... So for, for me, it was when we started planting churches. I, this back in 1996, I'd never done it before. I said to my board, look, I want to do one church a year for five years. I know that's a crazy goal. I didn't go into that with their expectation that if we don't do five churches in five years, you're fired. I went into it with them saying, wow, this is really great. Our pastor wants to try to do something that hasn't been done in our local area. And we're going to take this risk with them. I knew that it was an adventure. Right. So if you get that buy-off from your supervisor that there is a risk area that you've identified, then you don't have to operate out of fear. Right. Well, And, and, and when you say fear, what we're specifically talking about is fear of having your public opinion being looked at as a failure. Yeah, yeah. So, Failing so let me ask you that. So failure. what is the fear? Because I always ask this question. So is it fear of punishment? Is it fear of being fired? Is it fear of being humiliated, embarrassed, fear of not being as good as the person who has the same role as you in a different church? What is the actual fear? When people are afraid, what is it they're afraid of? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that I think that it's probably different for a lot of people, but I'll just I'll just speak from me personally. Um, I think that one of the biggest parts of fear is the fear of being seen as a failure. So, and and this this doesn't even have to just be public. It can also be privately how I see myself. So, I, I think a bad habit I've always had is I want to use my time wisely on earth. That's my mindset. I want to try to get as much done as I can and leave as big of an impact as possible. So, I almost would have this, if you picture like one of those XY graph charts that goes up, I picture like... You know, I put face of where someone else my age who's done something big would have been at my stage of ministry. I'm like, look how far behind them I am. You know, I'm never going to do anything. That's that's a false way to track it because I don't think that God does the same thing the same way with everybody to begin with. But I think that probably the, the fear is 
in being defined not not as I failed, but as a failure. Like my, part of my identity is I did not succeed in that. Maybe I'll never be a great pastor, worship leader, small group leader, whatever you know you're doing in ministry. It's and so like when I when I hear you talking about your church planning journey, one of the things that stands out to me that I admire is you're talking about that you had enough courage to be like, like you were at that time, I think you were 33 based on the math there. So you would have been a 33 year old pastor, not doing what you're doing for that long. And you're already, you know, so to speak ahead of the curve of a a lead pastor of a a larger church. Um, And here you are taking a potential risk. Like if the church planning doesn't work out, that's a major, you know, that's a major strike on your record. I think you had, some things reputationally at stake there, sure, in a sense, yeah. So I think we're I think we're talking about two different things. One is the internal wiring that we all have that defines who we are, mm-hmm. and the other is the external expectations of the organization that we're in. And right. those two things interface with each other because sometimes you can be internally insecure and project that onto your organization. And sometimes your organization can be stressing you because it's making demands in a culture that isn't giving room for people to fail. And so those two things are are connected together. So let's start with the internal one. Okay, what you just mentioned. I have this chart on the wall and I see my face and I see other people's faces (laughs) and I'm measuring myself based on other people. Okay, so and then you, you likened it to my church planning journey. Here's what I discovered. The more I succeeded the more afraid of failure I became. Wow. So actually, after completing the goal of five churches in five years, I became known for church planting. And the pressure mounted. I became like, what if I can't keep this up? Yeah. What if I can't live up to this? And I, I actually got to the place where I became physically ill with migraine headaches wow. and had to go to counseling because I had gotten so tightly wound. And in my counseling sessions, the counselor identified your problem is that you have a fear of failure. And I was like, how can that be? I've taken all these risks. I've planted these churches. I don't see myself as hiding somewhere and afraid to take steps out. But it was that whole fear of being viewed as incompetent. Well, and you you had a question asked of you by that counselor that stands out to me. Yeah. You know, where yeah, the said, question he asked me, he said, if it was God's will and would bring him more glory by your temporary failure than by your success, would you be okay with that? <laughs> And I said no. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, and I, I think that, that that is the issue right there. You know, it, it's because it's, when you're talking about success, we are talking about defining ourselves as a success. I mean, I, I don't know if this is how it is for everybody, but I think the fear of failure, like let's say I get fired from ministry. There is a livelihood aspect, but ultimately I know I can get a job somewhere else. I'm, I'm employable. I could find a, a living. But it's that my church family would see me as a failure because I couldn't even cut it in, you know, blank. Like, I wasn't good enough to, you know, do this thing. Therefore, like, maybe I need to find a new church. Maybe I need yeah. to move to well, another state. Well, here, what had to happen for me was I had to get okay with the idea that if the worst happened, if the worst happened and I failed and people were looking at me as incompetent and that I wasn't able to cut it, would I still be okay? And if you can get to be the place where you, if the worst happened, you were okay because you still had God's acceptance in your life, that's what real freedom is. Mm-hmm. And until you get there, you won't be internally free. Right. Okay. But then there's organizational. Okay. Right. So now in organizational, what you have to do is you have to manage expectations. Mm-hmm. So with your supervisor, you got to have regular conversations. 
Was the goal realistic? Where am I in the journey? What obstacles have I hit? We talk about something that very few employees know how to use, but is the secret to being able to navigate your way when you're trying to hit goals and figure out what your supervisor expects of you. And that's something we call the feedback loop. Yeah. The feedback loop is when you're journeying towards a goal and you hit an obstacle or you don't feel like you're going to hit your number or what you've agreed upon, you go back to your supervisor and you say, here's what I'm encountering. This is what I need to do. Can you give me advice? Can we adjust this goal? Is this expectation still? So it's basically really the process of navigating and managing expectations. If you're a supervisor, it's important that you put expectations that are realistic on your staff and that you're constantly giving them the feedback loop. So if I'm your boss and I'm saying, look, here's what I see you're doing really well. I want to commend you. If the only time we have a conversation is a goal setting exercise or when you've fallen short of some expectation we've set together, then you're going to probably have that fear reinforced. But if you're hearing me as your supervisor say to you on a regular basis, good job, way to go. You did this really well. I'm really pleased. Or if they show up in your life and they say, look, I know you're not hitting the numbers we thought, but based on everything that's just gone on here, I think you're right on track. Feedback both to the supervisor and from the supervisor. Um, in midstream, as life is happening, and, and is is probably the key to being free from fear in the organization that you work with. Yeah, and, and so as you're talking about that, I can think of other conversations we've had. You've been around for a long time, around a lot of leaders from a lot of different places. And so something that you mentioned that can be a theme is that sometimes, and I, I'm a new supervisor myself over some direct reports, but sometimes a supervisor can define themselves successful or failure by how their direct reports That's are doing. true. So hard to work for that person. Yeah. Well, but but if you are a supervisor and you're trying to assess how am I doing this area, let's just even say you think of yourself as a self-aware person. That's probably all of us do. I'm pretty self-aware. Okay. Well, maybe this is a blind spot. You know, which I'm even asking for myself. How can you? What are some signs that you can look for that you are being the kind of supervisor that you want to, who is empowering without, you know, feeding your own insecurity into? Yeah. So a whole lot about leadership is about tone and atmosphere. So you can look at the atmosphere of what you're leading and you can tell whether they're under pressure or they're walking in joy. And atmosphere is created and cultivated. So it's not just about the goal and the target. It's about the tone and the atmosphere. And so you got to measure both. Are we achieving our goals in a healthy way? Is there the right atmosphere in the department that I lead? Am I setting the right tone even in the correction that I'm bringing? And if you're under pressure and you don't have joy and there's not a good atmosphere in and around you, it will probably be put on your team. Yeah. If you are at peace with yourself and you have the right tone and atmosphere, even if your team is underperforming, you'll be able to help them get to where they need to go quicker because of the tone and atmosphere that you're creating. I think, I think that culture thing, creating the right culture along with setting the right targets is is two things that are sort of in in, in they operate cooperatively mm-hmm. and so our goal is to try to do both do both of those okay so as we wind down here um, just quickly if you are in a culture you're not the lead guy lead lead girl whatever and you're in a culture that is not the healthiest from the top down right and you still want to take control and try to create culture for those under you or even just for yourself to make sure that you are living healthy and with the right viewpoints, like what can you do? What can you think about? What, what, maybe even what can you pray about 
to try to achieve a level of health under a leader that might not be the healthiest? Well, no matter where you are or what you're doing, you can be healthy if you just have a good perspective of yourself in the eyes of God. Mm -hmm. So nobody determines your level of fear or your level of freedom, but you. It's, It's what you determine. If you happen to be in a difficult environment where that culture hasn't been created, you can still try to set expectations for yourself by having conversations with your supervisor. But if you, if the culture you're in remains what you would consider toxic and you're really trying to be inwardly free but everything around you is still toxic, that may not be the best long-term healthy place for you. But if you're in a toxic place and you feel like God has placed you there and you're not supposed to leave, you really need to read the book Tale of Three Kings. Yeah. Because it's, it's all about how to submit yourself properly in difficult seasons. If you happen to be a boss of someone who t- who's acting in a toxic way, you need to read Tale of Three Kings. Gene <laughs> Edwards, I've read it probably 15 times in my life. It, I think, is a part of the fabric of what makes for a healthy culture. And I, that would be kind of a homework assignment for someone who's really struggling in a difficult place. And just, just as somebody who's read it very recently, it's the shortest book ever. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's an hour and a half read. Yeah, if you're a slow reader. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So I would really I would encourage you to read that. It, it is brilliant. There's a lot more we go into with this. I love this idea. But we're going to stop for now. Maybe we'll bring this up in a later episode. Sounds but good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah.